Every year, more than £300 billion is spent on procuring goods, works and services by the UK public sector. But since the country voted to leave the EU, the rules governing how that money is spent are changing to make the process more transparent, simpler, more flexible, and to encourage more small and medium-sized businesses and social enterprises to get involved in the provision of our public services. I'm Martin Gregg, and recently I spoke with Andrew de Worley, who is a senior manager in the public procurement practice at Deloitte. We recorded this conversation in May 2023. Andrew is passionate about public procurement, so I began by asking him what had sparked his love for procurement. I am a self-confessed public procurement nerd. Um, I started my career over a decade ago at the Department of Health's commercial division, where I worked on uh, major projects uh, for the Department of Health in sort of IT and logistics space. And then uh, five years ago, I, I made the jump into consulting at Deloitte, and I've been helping different public bodies over that time with major complex uh, commercial and procurement projects, and I absolutely love it. It's a, it's an area um, which I think is really um, not underrespected, but it's it's so important to how how modern governments get things done. So it's a, it's a it's a great impact to society. You've described this as the biggest change in how public procurements are managed since the enactment of the European Communities Act in, in 1972. That's quite a change. It is quite a change. And, and I suppose people could argue whether it's 1972 or whether it's 2006 when, the, when the, the regulations came in specifically. But I think there is a whole cadre of people uh, um, who for the most of their working life have, have been told that they have to do things in a certain way. Um, as per the European regulations, and that really constricts what procurement agents can do in order to, to achieve the outcome for, for their organisations and society. And what we're getting out of a new procurement bill is basically a, a real um, loosening of those restrictions and the ability to be far more flexible. Um, and that, is, that has a big change, uh, a, a change which requires all of us in this space to, um, to be more creative, to, to learn new things, and, and to really try and drive and maximise value for money in our pursuit rather than um, being forced, like many, many people have many times, to just to, to follow the process as set out in the regulations when it might not fit the specific case that you're in. Some of the buzzwords that the, the, the government uses around this are things like a step change in flexibility, in simplicity, and, and transparency. Yeah. Do you think that's right? Do you think those are some of the key changes or, or, or is it different? Um, yes. And, and I suppose from a from a legislative point of view, from a, from the actual regulations in the bill, there is going to be so much more flexibility in, in, in what, what we have we are able to do. Um, I suppose there's there's two sides of this coin. There's there's what the regulations will allow us to do, and then there's what us as agents will then subsequently do because if you have a freedom to do whatever you not whatever you want but if you have greater freedom to choose how you're going to do things you can choose to do exactly as you did before right so there's going to be um a need for for all of us to be a bit more creative um and, and be allowed to be creative and I, I imagine loads of people in this public procurement space are going to relish the opportunity to take that so so in this case um i have to uh, take my cap off to the cabinet office who have done a sterling job on this um, consultation and I am really looking forward to seeing the final bill when it comes out and then the secondary legislation and the public procurement notes which come off the back of it which actually will potentially um, 
put some limits on that flexibility and we'll see what that is. But um, from, from a first principles point of view, I'm, I'm very supportive. Let's say I were a large public body uh, and I'm anticipating this new uh, regulation coming down the track. What sort of things should I be doing now? What sort of things do I need to know so that I'm ready and I'm prepared for those changes? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I suppose there's there's a lot of um, content out there on, on, on the internet right now from loads of different bodies. Um, and it pretty much, I would say, and this is generalization, saying that, you know, the devil's in the detail and we need to wait to see what the final bill is. Um, my view has always been that's, that's not, I, I don't agree with that. Actually, there's things that we can all be doing to prepare. Um, and at Deloitte, we've been having a, a working group on this since the, the Green Paper came out and we're looking at ways, and I call them no-regret activities, that people can do now to just to be, be ready for when the implementation period starts, they can sort of um, hit the ground running. And there's a couple of things. So there's, first of all, just, you know, line up your team. Think about who's going to be leading this from in your organization. And once you've identified those people, get them to look at there's, there's so much free content on, online, whether it's from the Institute for Government or other law firms or SIPs or, or this podcast series, you know. Um, and get get people to to sort of um, to, to just live and breathe it for a bit. I'm just reviewing on YouTube, there's videos, and just to get up to speed with all, all the dynamics and the discussion. So so when the final bill does come, there, there may be 10%, 20% extra information we need to know, but quite a lot of it's already there. Right, so identifying your team is, is is a number one thing. I think the second thing which we can do right now is contract review, right? So a big part of this is publishing pipelines. And I know it's been a policy um, objective previously, but a big part of regulations and the transparency, transparency agenda is about publishing pipelines. So we can get our pipelines up to speed now, you know, make sure they're robust and, and full. And, and in doing so, potentially identify those um, contract opportunities in about a year's time, where you might want to use a different procedure than you when you were previously planning, and, and you might want to use that flexibility, so you can identify those in advance. I think the third thing I would say, and this is one that's, which is I find most interesting, is the whole competitive flexible procedure. But we are able to to come up with uh, an, a, a procurement approach that is most appropriate to them to the situation. Right, that, that's that's an amazing opportunity. That that be clear, that will probably not be used for 80% of spend, you're probably still going to do open procedure and frameworks, but for those more complex areas, this is a great opportunity. But with this freedom comes risk, right? So um, uh, when, you, when you're able to do whatever you want um, within limits, um, it can be a bit daunting. But what we've been doing is looking internationally at, okay, what do other jurisdictions use? And there's a really great... Um, body of information uh, under the UN, the UNSATRAL Model Law and Public Procurement. And they have a whole heap of different procedures that um, are used by jurisdictions all over the world, which are very different to, to how, how we use them under the EU regulations. And so just reviewing those procedures and thinking about, oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's good. We could potentially use this for, I don't know, IT spend or, or, or something along those lines. And, and just getting the feel for that. So when you finally see what happens in the secondary legislation, you've got a good place to start from. And, and the best thing about the answer model law is there's detailed, detailed, detailed guidance on their implementation, hundreds of pages. So you, you can go as deep into this as you want and, and as your time allows. And I suppose that's a really safe space to start thinking about this freedom and building off best practice. You don't have to follow it exactly, but it's a really good thing. 
And then the final thing I would say is you can tell from the green paper, there's going to be more dialogue and more discussion between parties and negotiations. So there's some governance that you could probably set up now and the structures around negotiations and the mandating of those, uh, the, man the mandates that you, you create around those negotiations, which you can think of in advance. And also, you know, there's, whilst we were able to negotiate under the, the, the previous regime, um, it, it was very limited, right? So there's going to be more of it. So you might need to expand the training that's on offer to your, to your, your staff members, uh, around negotiations, which you could probably be doing now. So although these sorts of activities, you don't need to know the final details of a bill in order to gain benefit from, and, and we would definitely advise people start thinking about that over the course of the next year. This is perhaps a, a sort of subjective question, but is that a case of finding something that's better than we've got now? Or is it about doing things differently to uh, achieve the outcomes you want to? Uh, that's a really interesting point. So so my sitting here, when we are given all this freedom, there's going to be a lot of, in my view, um, potential challenge that comes off the back of that, right? Because people are going to be doing things in a different way. So it's going to take time for us all to learn how to do things in this new world. And so my view has always been a safe place to plant a flag is let's look what else is out there and let's try and use best practice where we can and then build on it. And then also let's innovate as well, right? So it's, it's, it's not about the, the UN versions are better or worse than you, they're just different. And so you can review them and you go, oh, that might be useful in this context. But actually, I might want to change this bit of it or that bit of it. So I think there's there's two tracks here. There's going to be a lot of innovation that comes off the back of the procurement bill, and we're going to be doing things in a whole new way. But as a first pass, it might be useful to people to start thinking about other procedures out there and maybe how we can improve them until we get the actual legislation, the actual secondary legislation. And then, then we can start designing our own things. But let's not just design for design's sake, right? We, we want to take the best of what's out there and improve upon it whilst also being uh, innovative because there's sort of two different tracks, right? Um, and I think that would be a useful starting journey for, for people who are maybe slightly more scared around this new freedom. So, okay, well, if, if, if there's something that already exists, just have a look at it. And, and maybe that gets the juices going, or maybe that makes you think about things in a different way, and maybe identify reasons why it's it's not good, or oh, I could change this bit. But it's better than having just a blank piece of paper and saying go design something new. It can be quite daunting to have a has a completely clean slate. And it's a difficult balancing act, isn't it? Because on the one hand, we're really talking about redesigning a system to enable people to deliver best value for, yes. for taxpayers. But at the same time, and you mentioned the word yourself, a lot of these processes potentially could be subject to challenge. So it's a really difficult balance to strike. Yes, you know, it, it, it totally is. And so I suppose baby steps is one way of doing it, being very confident in, in what you are, you're putting across. There's going to be a moment of challenge in, in this transition. It's just, it just will, will be, but it doesn't mean it's not the right thing to do. It's absolutely the right thing to do. And the, the flexibility, in my case, so I come at this primarily from, from, from an academic point, is the literature shows us that informational imbalances between buyers and suppliers and risk premium that applies and bid, no bid decisions of firms are all around, not all around, there's loads of evidence that 
the inability to talk between the two parties, to share information to and fro between the two parties, hinders competition, actually, competition creation, because it hinders, it disincentivizes the bid-no-bid decision. Because you don't, the supply, there's too much risk around the, the opportunity. And so actually, the ability to bring more discussion between parties is a good thing, in my view. I'm, I'm sure other people would, would disagree. Because we've all been in situations where you would, you'd really like to clarify what a situation is, but they say, oh, you can't do that. You can't negotiate. You can't discuss. Um, uh, and actually, that's probably not good for anyone. It, it totally works from a single market perspective um, from, from the EU and about making that function. But from a, from a pure value for money perspective, I, I'm not sure that it does. I mean, we're talking really about allowing people to use more judgment than yes. perhaps they've done so in the past. And again, that's potentially where the, the challenge and the difficulty comes in. Absolutely. Um, you talked about baby steps. We're not then going to see wholesale change here. We're going to see small changes at a time rather than sort of big bang moments. Well, so, so I suppose there's, there, there's, there's going to be big changes in the bill anyway. So there's going to be, you know, greater transparency. There's going to be a, a central platform for, for registering supplies. So there's going to be changes in the bill. The competitive flexible procedure, which is the bit I'm most interested in because I work in sort of major complex procurements, will apply to primarily complex procurements, right? And, and there's lots of procurements that it's, it's not relevant for. Um, but I think some of those larger meteor ones, and then also some of the more interesting novel um, requirements it's going to be useful for because we have the innovative partnership uh, approach in the EUX which is very very rarely used right so so as a way to bring in innovation it might be useful and I suppose fortuitously the timing of of this regulation as we're going to see AI get more and more involved in the bidding process and we're already starting to see organizations using generative AI to submit bids Actually, how we respond to that as a public procurement system. But actually, we have the opportunity to start thinking about, well, how do we do a public procurement system in, in, in response to this? And actually, the regulations are already there. There's something called competitive flexible procedure. Well, we can design procedures that respond to that within our current legislation rather than having to completely update it and renew it and start seeing innovation in that space. And for me, that's hugely exciting because there's going to be so many benefits of generative AI in improving bid responses, getting SMEs more involved because you don't need as big a big team. But there's a huge risk that actually there's going to be a huge quantum of responses that um, authorities are going to have to review and, and actually starting to think about how that happens. That is going to be a challenge that we see in the medium term. And actually the bill is perfectly timed <laughs> when it comes out to be able to support a response to that. And so I think there is a, it is an innovation. And actually, when we think about the cruise liner that is public procurement and the hundreds of billions of pounds worth of spend, actually, it, it will happen quicker um, than probably people think. But also, if it happens, in, if the big change happens in three or four years, when people start to, it's still, it's still quite quick. <laughs> you know, it's still, it's a lot of expenditure and it needs to be done right. So, um, yeah, it's not going to be day one, everything's different. But actually, I think there's going to be loads of examples of great practice which can be shared across the communities that cabinet officers are establishing. And then we'll all get there over the course of, uh, of a number of years. And um, I, I think my job will be very different in five years' time than it is right now. 
under the um, the new regulations. But if AI keeps advancing at the rate it is doing, you may not have a job. I may not have a job. None of us may have a job. None of us may have a job. I mean, I will just then just read loads of books on public procurement <laughs> until I until I go into my old age and just be very happy, I suppose. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting time to to be working in this space. And is, is there a risk on the AI question as well? Because particularly generative AI, it's only as good and effective as the data that is available. Yeah. And if the data's wrong, whatever AI tells you is also going to be wrong. So is there a risk in that? I know we've seen that already. So so the risk is the hallucination of, of, on these generative AI systems. So if you have a, I suppose, it's, it's how intelligently you use the system to get the outcome that you want. So it can produce... Um, answers that are not correct and actually there's a huge risk that the written response that people have provided to you as, a, as an authority uh, is, uh, is is false they can't do it they've just used an AI but actually what we're seeing mostly is it, it's really good for a first draft and I've responded to, to many many bids in my time and the hardest part is the blank piece of paper and writing the first draft Jennifer AI can get a supplier to the first draft in a day and then they can spend the next 29 days improving that and getting that better i think that's how it will be intelligently used but let's be clear you'll have a whole heap of responses then the, the job of the um the of the evaluator in that is going to become more difficult because actually how do you trust the response and so we all are going to have to think about how we do this in a different way but it's not just procurement that's that's across the entire piece anything which requires a review of a written document in future is going to be we're going to have to think about things differently. And whether that's, you know, in, a, in, in education, it means we're going to have to do more exams and less coursework. Or in procurement, we're going to have to do more rules and less presentations. We don't know yet. But for what I do know is the, the regulations that are coming down and this competitive flexible procedure is a potential avenue for underpinning that, right? So for not having to create a whole new set of regulations around AI in procurement, because actually this one little bit could end up being where we where we, we plant our flag and, and how we start um, responding to this challenge. I just want to read something back to you, Andrew, if I may, that, 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 um, that you mentioned. And you talked about the procurement regulations potentially being the biggest lever for government to make change in society. Just unpick that a little for me. So something like 300 billion pounds of expenditure is by procurement. I think that's the headline figure. Now, actually, some of that, how much of that is actually actionable by this change? I, I don't know. But even if it's 10%, that is a lot of money that can be used to do things better, whether that's driving innovation in healthcare, right? The act of procuring into government is costly and expensive. And so SMEs find it extremely hard to get in. So some of the innovation that they offer that can make great impacts in society um, takes a long time to get in. And so actually, if we can improve the speed of that via limiting the, the, the cost to them of doing that, that's going to be a good thing for society. Procurement spend, allowing government to target that at outcomes that it wants, is... is it's a way of making change. But actually, if we if we want to achieve something else with our, our, our expenditure and, I don't know, maybe industrial strategy off the back of it or things along those lines, we can use our expenditure to try and achieve that. So 
so so so maybe my maybe what I said before is is it's one of I suppose it's one of many levers that government can spend, and it's the one that I'm most <laughs> interested in. And I think we all, as, as as a society, would benefit from from our procurement agents being able to to more actively achieve some of those outcomes. I'm going to be here in five years' time, and I I hope that I'm going to be looking back and going, "Wow, we can do things that we couldn't do before." I buy a lot of um, IT or like big IT complex IT procurements. Um, and it can be quite difficult under the current regulations to just get to a good outcome. And I hope to be sitting here in five years time and going, actually, no, it's, um, this is how we buy licenses, right? This is how we do it. And actually it's, it's much more efficient. It takes less time and everyone saves money from, from the amount of time spent doing the project, but then also you, you get better value at the end. So I hope to be sitting here in five years time. I don't know, maybe doing my PhD on the topic and trying to prove myself right. My thanks to Andrew DeWarley from Deloitte. And thank you for listening to this SIPS special podcast on the UK public procurement regulations. If you'd like to hear more in this series, you can find them on our website. And you can find links to more resources about the procurement regulations in the podcast description. <laughs>